You're listening to the preaching podcast of Victory Baptist Church in Roanoke Rapids, North Carolina, led by Pastor Jeremy Kobernack. It is our desire that you will be helped by this Bible message. Jeremiah chapter 8, and we'll go down to verse number 12, uh, if you would please. Jeremiah uh, chapter 8, verse number 12. The Bible says, verse 12, were they ashamed when they had committed abomination? That's a question, and the answer is found in that verse, no. The answer is nay. They were not at all ashamed, neither could they blush. Therefore shall they fall among them that fall in the time of their visitation. They shall be cast down, saith the Lord. I will surely consume them, saith the Lord. There shall be no grapes on the vine, nor figs on the fig tree, and the leaf shall fade, and the things that I have given them shall pass away from them. Why do we sit still? The people ask the question, why why are we sitting still? Uh, We know judgment is coming. We know the enemy is coming. And they said, assemble yourselves and let us enter into the defensed cities. And let us be silent there, for the Lord our God hath put us to silence and given us water of gall to drink because we have sinned against the Lord. We look for peace, verse 15, but no good came. And for a time of health and behold, trouble. Lord, would you help us in these next few moments as we look at your word? I pray that we would not just be uh, casual observers and casual readers of your word, but may we study the scriptures and may we soak it in and may we apply it to our lives. May we make corrections where necessary. May we heed the warnings of Scripture. May we not follow in the path of the people of Judah who backslid and who uh, wandered far from you, but Lord, help us to stay close. Lord, help us to listen to the message of Jeremiah, and although the audience at the time rejected, help us to listen and help us to obey it, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We ended last week, if you remember, we talked about that uh, passage in verse 11 when God's people were crying out, peace, peace, but the Bible tells us there was no peace. Turn back with me to Jeremiah chapter 6 and notice verse number 14, almost identical uh, passages, Jeremiah 6, 14 and 15. It says, they have healed also the hurt of the daughter of my people, slightly saying, Peace, peace, when there is no peace. Were they ashamed when they had committed abomination? Nay, they were not at all ashamed, neither could they blush. And therefore they shall fall among them that fall. At the time that I visit them, they shall be cast down, saith the Lord. You say, well, that's strange. That that message, that truth is repeated almost verbatim from chapter uh, 6 to now chapter 8. Well, keep in mind, Chapter 6 was a different sermon. Here in Jeremiah chapter 8, beginning in verse, or chapter 7, it was the uh, sermon that Jeremiah was preaching at the gate of the temple many years later. And you say, well, why would Jeremiah have to preach the same thing? Well, one, this was under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. God knew that those people needed to hear it. They needed to hear those words again. Uh, nothing is in the Bible by accident. I don't believe there's a mistake in the Bible. I don't believe there's an error. I believe all Scripture is given by inspiration of God, and it is profitable. 
So Judah needed to hear it twice, but I know this, uh, Victory Baptist Church needs to hear it twice. And if you're going through Bible reading later in the year and you get to Jeremiah, you might read these two chapters in the same day. Well, guess what? It's there on purpose. God doesn't repeat himself because he doesn't have something else to say. He repeats himself because there is an importance and an urgency to the message. Notice back in Jeremiah chapter 8, verse number 12. This is such a tragedy. It's such a shame. God's people were committing abomination. Now, what is an abomination? Uh, the book of Leviticus and the book of Numbers and the book of Deuteronomy, it, it, it contains a lot of the Old Testament laws for God's people. Now, there were some abominations that were mentioned and they were uh, just as, as vile as you could imagine. And God would say, it is an abomination unto me. There were some things that God said to his people. He said, it's an abomination to you. And for instance, there were some animals that God's people were not permitted to eat. They were not permitted to eat the swine. And if they did, God said, that's an abomination to you. God wasn't saying that was an abomination to him, but he's saying for you, you're not going to eat that. You're not going to touch that. So an abomination is a serious offense. We're not talking about a parking ticket. We're not talking about you get your, you know, your hand slapped for something. We're talking about something literally that makes God sick, something that irritates God, something that causes God to bring down judgment. And God's people were committing abomination. And the question is asked, well, were they at least ashamed? You know, your children, they might do something that they know they shouldn't do. But when they get caught, when they get called on the carpet, you can at least see it all over their face. I don't know if it's because they're sorry for what they did or they're sorry because they're getting in trouble, but there is some shame on that face. Sometimes there are tears. Sometimes it is sobbing. Sometimes it is a, a fear. I don't know what your children process and all that, but I know Every, every child's different. Our girls are different. But, uh, and Micah, we have yet to see. I'm sure he'll be different as well. But, but you know, you, you hate for your children to be ashamed. You hate for your children to be embarrassed. But can I tell you, when it's sin, you better thank God there's some shame. You better thank God when they sin against God or when they sin against you or when they disobey a parental authority and they are called on it and they have a feeling of, I'm sorry, I should not have done that. I was wrong. Can I tell you, that's a wonderful thing to see because they have a sensitive heart. You know, as Christians, I'm afraid sometimes we get used to sin so much that it doesn't bother us anymore. That's what happened to the people of Judah. They were backslidden, and one of the problems was that when they would sin, they wouldn't even blush about it. They were not even ashamed about it. As a matter of fact, they were pretty proud of themselves. As a matter of fact, they were uh, pretty, pretty, pretty proud of the fact that they were doing their own thing, and they thought they were getting away with it. Kind of sounds like the United States of America in 2020. People aren't content just to be wicked and sinful on their own. They want to rub it in your face. 
and they want to flaunt it and they want to uh, brag about it and they want to talk about you can't tell me what to do and it's my life and I'm going to do it and you're not only going to accept it, you're going to like it. That's the mentality that's invaded our country. That's the mentality that's invaded our society. But I'm afraid that's the mentality that is invading our churches. Sin doesn't bother us anymore. We used to cringe if we heard a curse word and now it's just just the way it is. And I understand maybe you are in a workplace where you have coworkers constantly who are using the Lord's name in vain or you have uh, 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 coworkers who are speaking vile and all that stuff. Can I tell you, as a Christian, you maybe can't remove yourself from that situation, but if you've got the Holy Spirit of God living inside of you, that ought to bother you. It ought not be something that you can be comfortable with. It ought not be something that you think is no big deal because you have the Holy Spirit. Your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit of God and God's people were not ashamed at all. They would not even blush. May God help us when sin no longer bothers us. May we always be sensitive to the Holy Spirit. I, I, I'm thankful on Sundays or Wednesdays, I'll preach on something and sometimes I'll have somebody say, you know, God spoke to me about that particular area. And I don't think it's the preacher. I think it's the power of the word of God. I think it's the Holy Spirit. But every one of us, there ought to be conviction of sin. There ought to be some things that maybe we are doing in our lives and we read in the Bible that it's contrary to God's law and it uh, breaks the heart of God and it's a, a sin, it's a transgression, it's wicked and we realize it and rather than uh, stiffening our neck and rather than uh, hardening our face, our heart breaks and we say, oh God, I'm sorry. I'm sorry that I sinned. I'm sorry I didn't realize it. I'm sorry I got used to it. I'm sorry that I've gotten so cold in my Christian life. I'm sorry that I haven't been, been following your word. I'm sorry I haven't been praying. I'm sorry I have not been sensitive to the Holy Spirit. Can I tell you, it's a great day. It's a wonderful day when the Holy Spirit will prick you about your sin. It's a wonderful day when the Holy Spirit will point out things in your life that need to be changed. I wonder when was the last time you confessed any sin? So, well, it's been a while. I'm just such a good Christian. Yeah, I don't think that's the problem. It's probably our pride and probably our indifference if we have not had to confess sin because we are all sinners. Uh, just ask your spouse and they'll tell you uh, we're all sinners and it comes short of the glory of God. Notice what it says. They couldn't blush. The sin no longer bothered them. I like to say, and as we continue from last week, this would be number five in our series on from chapter eight, we should be ashamed of our sin. If you have sin in your life, if I have sin in my life, shame on us. Uh, shame on you, shame on me. Uh, sin is nothing to play with. Sin is nothing to get comfortable around. I preached some years ago, I preached about uh, the, the, the story of that zoo in San Francisco. That was recently, we were talking about that, that zoo in San Francisco where those boys got so close to that lion cage and uh, that, that, that um, uh, tiger cage, excuse me, and that tiger jumped out and mauled one of those boys and killed one of those uh, young men, 18, 19, 20 years old. And the thing that scared me and the thing that bothered me was that tiger enclosure at the San Francisco Zoo had been there for 65, 66 years, something like that. And all the people that had walked by and didn't have any idea how dangerous it was 
as Christians, you know what we do? We walk by sin and we think it can never bother us. We think it can never get out. We think we've got it under control. I want to tell you, be sure your sin will find you out. And it's so much better. We'll get to this later, but it's so much better if we confess our sin and get it right with God before God has to deal with it. Notice, if you would, verse number 13. The Bible says, I will surely consume them. That's a powerful statement. God says, I will consume them and there shall be no grapes on the vine and no figs on the fig tree and the leaves shall fade. Think about this, the land of Judah, God's uh, chosen people, the, 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 the place where Jerusalem was situated, the place where the temple was situated, all the good that had come from Judah and now all of that good was gone. And all the good that could have been in the future, all the blessings of God and all the, the great things that God could have accomplished through Judah, it was all gone. The, the fruit was gone. The leaves were gone. How sad that for Judah, it would all be a memory. It would all be a, we used to do that. We used to know God's blessing. We used to experience God's goodness. We used to know what it was like to be close to God, but it was now going to be all past tense. Verse 14, the land of Judah was in such turmoil that the people decided that they had to run to the fortified cities. Verse 14, they said, why do we sit still? Uh, let's assemble ourselves and let's get in the defense cities and, and let's be saved. I got a question for you. If God has pronounced judgment, how safe do you think the people of Judah were going to be in those defensed cities? How safe do you think the people were in Jericho when God was coming through? How safe do you think those uh, people were inside the walls of that fortress city when the army marched around and the walls fell down? You're not safe. You can build up your defenses, you can build up your, your structures, you can build your houses, you can build your portfolios, you can take all the vitamins you want, you can do all the health stuff you want. I'm not against those things. But those things are not going to keep you safe in the end. Safety, protection comes from God. And that's why I've said it before and I'll say it again. The safest place in all the world to be is in the center of God's will. And that may not be uh, uh, at home. That may not be in a place where you're comfortable. You may be out of your comfort zone. But I want to tell you, I'd rather be in God's will uh, than be anywhere else in all the world. When God's hand is lifted, the peace is gone and the safety is gone. And they, they thought they were safe in those cities, but no longer were they safe anywhere because judgment had been pronounced. But notice verse number 14. They made the admission. They said, for the Lord hath put us to silence and given us water of gall to drink because we have sinned against the Lord. They, they realized it. Now, for the people of Judah, it was too late. After judgment had been pronounced, they said, oh, oh, we've sinned, we've sinned. But can I tell you, it's a wonderful thing for us when we confess our sins. The Bible says, he that covereth his sins shall not prosper but whoso confesseth and forsaketh them shall find mercy. The Bible says if we confess our sins, he is what? Faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Verse number 15, again, God's people, they looked for peace, but no good came. 
They were looking for health, but behold, trouble came. The choir sang a few weeks ago, they sang that song, Jesus is still the answer. I love that song. In that song, it says, uh, not until they meet the Prince of Peace, that's Jesus, not until they meet the Prince of Peace can they ever find relief because Jesus is still the answer for that longing in your soul. God's people, they had, they had all they needed. They had God right there and they rejected him and they missed out on all the peace that they could have had and all the wonderful blessings they could have experienced. Notice verse 16, we're going fast. I want to get done here uh, early if possible. It says in verse 16, the snorting of his horses was heard from Dan. Now that's an interesting expression. It says the whole land trembled at the sound of the neighing of his strong ones, for they are come and have devoured the land and all that is in it, the city and those that dwell therein. Dan was the northernmost tribe there in Israel. And of course, now we're talking about Judah and the Babylonians coming and invading. But the Babylonians would come through Dan. And so now they're saying, the prophecy is given, you can already hear the breathing of the horses as they're coming through the land of Dan. The whole, the whole, whole place, the whole area is trembling in fear because there is an invading army that is coming. At the time of the Babylonian invasion, the Babylonians, they were the strongest power in the world. Uh, they would be led, eventually be led by Nebuchadnezzar. Uh, they would have the, the great cities. They'd have the great armies. They'd have the great military. At this time, it's possible that in Judah, they didn't have any horses. Maybe they would have a few, but certainly nothing to stand against the horses and the chariots and the military of the Babylonians that were coming. It was close. Danger was so close that the prophecy is given that they could already hear up in Dan. They could hear the, the breathing, the snorting of the horses. Wow. I cannot imagine that. I was speaking with uh, Scott and Marie Mason, the family the other day, about Miss Helen. She came over uh, from Germany after the war, she and her husband. And they came over and she, in her life, she made some, some comments and she made some statements about just how in the United States of America, we don't have a clue. We have no idea what other countries in this world go through and what others have gone through. But she lived through the war when she said, all you could see in the sky were the planes flying over, bombing, until there was nothing left to bomb. She said people would, would have to go literally and they'd have to dig through the rubble just trying to find enough to eat just to survive. I've, I've, never, I've never experienced anything like that. Most in this room have not. But can you imagine how fearful you would be or, or, or we would be if we knew that an enemy was invading our country? We knew the, the tanks were coming. We knew the, the, the jets were coming. We knew the helicopters were coming. We knew the bombers. We knew all of that, and we were in the midst of that. And yet that's exactly where Judah was, minus the tanks and the bombers. And all. You understand that, but the enemy was coming. The enemy was coming to destroy. Verse number 17, Behold, I will send serpents 
cockatrices among you, a poison, poisonous, venomous beast, which, shall not, which will not be charmed, and they shall bite you, saith the Lord. You say, well, what's that talking about? Well, God's people knew, remember back in the wilderness when all those serpents came uh, as a judgment of God. God's people knew what that was all about. They'd heard stories. But God said that the enemy that's coming, it's going to be like an invasion of serpents. You're not getting away from these enemies. You're not getting away from the destruction. You're not going to charm them. You're not going to sweet talk the enemy. You're not going to use your uh, charisma and your personality to talk down the enemy. They're coming. They'll destroy you. There's nothing you can do about it. Verse 17. Verse 18. When I would comfort myself against sorrow, Jeremiah says. When I try to get some comfort. When I try to get some encouragement. When I try to, when I try to focus on the good, Jeremiah said, my heart is faint in me. You know, this is such a powerful reminder for us that although God judges sin, and maybe you have people in your family and you just, you'd never say it, but you know they're under the judgment of God. And you see it, but yet the Christ, Christ-like side of us, hopefully, uh, the, the, the Spirit-led side of us, takes no delight when people are being judged by God. We weep for them, and our hearts are broken. We don't say, oh, that serves them right. I hope they learn that. Oh, you know what we say? Except for the grace of God, that could be us. That could be me. And Jeremiah is so broken. Now think about this. He's preached to these people. He's warned these people, and they wouldn't listen. Some of us might say, okay, have it your way. You'll see, but not Jeremiah. He pled with them. He preached to them. He warned them. He gave his life 50 plus years of preaching to people that were backslidden. But yet when they would not listen, he would weep. And he was broken and he had compassion and he had sorrow and his heart broke because of the judgment of God on the people that he loved. Verse 19, Behold the voice of the cry of the daughter of my people, because of them that dwell in a far country. He said, because of the enemy that's coming from this far country, they're saying, is not the Lord in Zion? Is not her king in her? The people are asking, they're saying, how could this be? Don't we have the Lord here? And is not the Lord our king? And Jeremiah says this, and God answers by re replying, verse 19, Why have they provoked me to anger with their graven images and with strange vanities? They were saying, but, but, but God... You were supposed to protect us, God. You were supposed to be there for us, God. You were supposed to, uh, to take care of this. And God is saying, but wait a minute. All you were doing was provoking me to anger by worshiping your false gods. Now, let's, let, let's just, take a, just take a little time out. Let's bring, it, let's bring it down to where we live. I think we should pray all the time. I think you ought to pray no matter what. I think if you're backslidden, I think you ought to pray. 
If you're away from God, I think you ought to pray. I, I believe God hears. I believe God wants us to pray. But let's think about this. If our whole life is focused on something other than God, let's say it's all about the job. That's the number one thing in your life. That's what you live for. That's your, your focus. That's your love. That's your passion. And that's it. And God takes backseat to your job. Then when trouble comes, why is it that we blame God? I'm just asking. Because if all of your passion is in the job, then shouldn't, shouldn't your job help you out? And I, I know we're, I'm being facetious in saying that because a job's not going to help you when you're sick. The job's not going to help you when you can't work. The job's not going to help you when you got problems at home and family and marriage and kids. But can I tell you who can help you? God can. And wouldn't it be great if we'd stay close to God and if we would love Him and serve Him so when the problems come, we don't have to go to the back seat to find God. We've got Him right beside of us and we say, God, please show me and please direct me. Maybe for you, maybe your life is about money. Uh, maybe your life is about uh, a hobby. I, I think about uh, this last week, it's been amazing to me to see how many people in our country, how many people are consumed with sports. Sports is a God to many people. And can I tell you something? Sports is not going to help you through the hard times. Your hobby is not going to get you through the valley of the shadow of death. But I'll tell you who will. His name is Jesus. And they cried out saying, Lord, you're our God and where are you? And yet they'd been worshiping false gods and provoking God to anger. Verse 20. The harvest is past, the summer is ended, and we are not saved. That's a very sad, sad commentary on the condition of Judah. The harvest time was past, and their crops did not come through. They did not even have the food supplies that, uh, that they needed to survive uh, really anything, especially a battle. But not only that, they had been depending on the Egyptians. They had counted on the Egyptians to come and to save them from the invading Babylonians. It's amazing to me how Judah was looking everywhere for help except for looking up to the one who could actually help them. And the, the harvest has passed. The harvest time was over. The, the summertime was over and nobody had come to save them. Nobody had come to rescue them. Nobody had come to deliver them. The crops hadn't come through. The harvest wasn't good. The food supply was not there. They were in trouble. And then we get to verse number 21. The herd of the daughter of my people. For the herd of the daughter of my people, I am hurt. Jeremiah said, I am black. Literally black with the ashes that he had put upon his face and put upon his body the sackcloth that he had uh, 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 arraigned himself in, which was a, a sign of weeping and a sign of brokenness. He said in verse 21, astonishment hath taken hold on me. Even Jeremiah, he says, I, I cannot believe it. I am in shock that God's people have not gotten right. Then we get to verse number 22. Is there no balm in Gilead? Is there no physician there? Why then is not the health of the daughter of my people recovered? 
the balm, we, we, I referred to it Sunday morning because the um, Ishmaelites were coming through and they, they took Joseph as a slave and they had just come from Gilead and they had their, their spices, they had their uh, myrrh and they had their balm that they had received from Gilead. And Gilead was known for its medicine. Literally, the balm was a medicine. It was a salve that was abundant in that region of Gilead, came from the balsam tree. Because of this, that's interesting, because of this, there were many doctors, there were many physicians in that area because that's where the medicine came from. Um, my wife and I, for uh, nine years, we lived in Santa Clara. I was in college for four years before, 13 years. That area of the country is known as the Silicon Valley. And the reason for that is that was where the silicone was discovered that was used in the processing chips. And that is what really caused the, uh, the boom in the computer industry and the technology industry. And so for many years, so many of the computer companies, that was their base. That was their headquarters. Even to this day, uh, Google and eBay and Yahoo and Apple and all these companies, they're based right there. How come? Because that's where they got the silicone for the processing chips and that became the hub. Well, Gilead was the hub for the doctors, for the physicians, because that's where the medicine was originating. That's where the medicine was coming from. The balm was used also for perfumes. It was used for the embalming process that they would use for, uh, for bodies. And it was, it was a very valuable, um, a very valuable um, ingredient. It was a very, um, uh, a very uh, productive place. It was a, a, a very much of a booming place. And so the question is asked, isn't there any medicine? Isn't there a doctor? Is there no physician there? Jeremiah said, the people are sick and the people, uh, they need help, but yet, isn't there some medicine that can cure them? Isn't there some doctor that can do something? But the answer is this. Their problem was not a physical problem. Their problem was a spiritual problem. They needed a doctor, but they didn't need any old physician. They needed the great physician. And they didn't need any old medicine. They needed the medicine of the Word of God. You see, the remedy for God's people was to return. We'll see that all throughout the book of Jeremiah. The, the, the appeal is given to return to God. God's people were spiritually sick. They had rejected the cure. They had, uh, were not recovered. They were not made well because they refused the remedy that God had given them. Can I tell you, sin brings sickness, spiritual sickness. Sin destroys. The Bible says, sin when it is finished, it bringeth forth death. And that's not just a physical death. That's a spiritual death. Sin brings the judgment of God. Sin steals your joy and sin steals your happiness and sin robs you of healthy relationships. Sin brings guilt and shame. and That guilt and shame, it'll gnaw at you. It'll eat at you. It'll make your life miserable until you get the cure. And that cure is the Word of God. Until you confess that sin, until you get that sin right, until you get your relationship stored with, with God and you get that right, you will be sick spiritually. But I'm glad there is a balm in Gilead. I'm glad there is a cure. I'm glad there's a physician. 
I'm glad there's no person who's too far gone that God can't help them. I'm glad there's no one who's so spiritually sick that the great physician can't reach down and touch them and give them healing and put them on their way. And I tell you this, God's people, they missed it. Let's not us miss it. Let's not miss the remedy. Let's not miss the cure. Let's not miss the problem, and that's a spiritual problem. And the remedy for that spiritual problem is to get back to God. Thank you for listening to the preaching podcast of Victory Baptist Church in Roanoke Rapids, North Carolina, led by Pastor Jeremy Coburnett. For more information about our ministry, please visit our website at vbcrr.org. May God bless you as you serve Him this week. Thank you.